Hey, um, uh, I'd like you to um, begin, if you would, uh, with me. Turn, turn in your scriptures to the book of Ephesians. Now let's start in Hebrews. I got all kinds of stuff I'm going to turn you to, but uh, let's start with this one. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. From time to time when you're reading the Bible, um, if you're like me, you're kind of stricken with the idea of, do I really believe this? You know, do I really believe this passage? Because if I really believed it, would I be doing something different? For example, all those scriptures we read about prayer. Um, do you really believe that, uh, like the scriptures declare, you have not because you what? Ask not. Uh, do you believe that? Now, it's easy to say, oh yeah, praise the Lord, Brett. But, uh, but do you really believe it? Like, like uh, how much time have we spent in prayer? Like, the, my prayer life betrays me as one who doesn't really believe that scripture very much. Um, the, you know, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and thanksgiving with supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, uh, which passes understanding, will rule your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Like, there's a huge promise of blessing for the guy who prays. Um, the Bible says, pray without ceasing for this as well. So, like, prayer is one of those things that if we really believed the scriptures on that, I think we'd be praying without ceasing. We, we really would um, make that a massive part of our lives. But um, that's one of those areas I find uh, often falling short in the, in the area of prayer. Uh, but there's other scriptures as well that as I read them, I think, oh man, Lord, convict my heart because if this word is true, my life would be different. My priorities would be different. The, the time that I spend um, would be different. But um, one of those oftentimes has to do with the Word of God. And we see in, in Hebrews chapter 4, that classic scripture, four, um, it says in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is quick, or living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Um, man, uh, the Bible uh, speaks of itself. The Word of God, quick and powerful, living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, it's, it's not just Hebrews, it's also Ephesians. You know the scripture where we're given the armor of God. And it, it's interesting because we forget that we really are given only one offensive weapon, uh, and that is the sword. It says in uh, Ephesians 6, uh, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So not a, a, an uncommon theme. You, you've all heard probably that um, the Word of God is compared to uh, a sword. And so today it's really our desire to say, how can we make sure that your sword is sharp? Uh, how can we make sure that your, your sword, uh, brothers, uh, is sharp and ready for battle, uh, ready to be used with skill? Uh, I was thinking about it. I almost had Micah put together some videos, footage of some of my favorite cowboy movies. Um, uh, and I've got this spectrum. Uh, one is uh, The Shakiest Gun in the West. How many of you guys have seen that movie? Yeah, Shakiest Gun in the West, Don Knotts. Uh, it's hilarious. Uh, the guy, he's just, he's just like uh, this quivering little chihuahua of a man. 
And, uh, and it's just so funny when, he's, when he pulls out his gun, he's like, you know, flipping around and the, the chamber flops open and he's like, oh, and he's trying to shoot. And it's just, you know, he just makes you nervous watching this guy trying to mess with his firearm. And, you know, and it goes off whenever he doesn't want it to go off and it's always shooting in his holster. And, and I liken that to some of the brothers perhaps in our fellowship. Oh, wait, what are you talking about? That's not me. I hope not. I hope it's none of us. But, but you know, in marriage counseling, sometimes it kind of comes out. And it just kind of pops out as I sit with a couple and talk that that guy has no idea what, what he has in the sword of the Spirit. He, 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 he's kind of fumbling with the Scriptures. And, you know, and I, I get a little nervous sometimes because a lot of times those guys, they're dangerous. They know just enough scripture to be dangerous. Oh, 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 you know, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah, that's a Bible scripture. Uh, that's fumbling it around. If you are a man quoting that to your wife, you need to repent and be a real man. Uh, that's not what you say to your wife if you're preaching, your wives, submit to your husband. You're supposed to submit to me, woman. If you're saying that, uh, man, that's Don Knotts flipping around using the sword uh, in a real goofy and perhaps even dangerous kind of way. The other end of the spectrum is uh, there's a couple movies, Destry and Destry Rides Again, but uh, there's a couple different movies and versions of it, but have you guys seen the Audie Murphy uh, version of Destry? It's not as well known of a movie. Um, Audie Murphy was the most decorated war hero in American history. Uh, in fact, uh, I think in the world, because uh, during World War II, he, um, 19 years old, uh, a whole division of German soldiers were coming across the field, and all of his guys retreated, but instead of retreating, he ran forward, jumped on top of a tank, and just started firing away on this, this gun, and uh, just kept firing. Uh, and he took out the entire German army coming across the field until he got shot in the rear, uh, and, uh, and he had to go to the hospital. You know, the golden wound that brought him home. But um, but the French decorated him with his highest honors because he saved a whole French platoon, uh, as well as the American. Like, it's an amazing story. Uh, there's, it's actually a movie about his life where he plays himself. Uh, to Hell and Back is what it's called. It's an old uh, classic, um, interesting uh, war movie. But, but when he came home, the, he was such a war hero. Like, like they wanted to make him into this cowboy uh, movie actor. And but he stars in this show where he's a kid comes into town. He's going to clean up, you know, like Dodge City, like the, the worst town in the West. And, they're, and he comes in, but he doesn't wear a gun. And, uh, and it's just great because everybody thinks he's this joke, you know. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the sheriff. They pin the badge on him like, yeah, you're going to really clean up this town. And they were still doing their crime and all this stuff. But the story goes where he kind of cleans up the town without using a gun. Um, but then there's that moment where uh, he kind of needs a gun. Um, but they don't know if, they don't, you know, they think he probably can't use it because he doesn't have one. Um, but there's a great scene where he uh, pulls uh, the guns of a bunch of the guys in the, in the saloon, and they, they think he can't use them. So they're saying, oh, yeah, check out my gun. And he's grabbing these guns. He says, well, let's see how these things fire. <laughs> and he's in the saloon, and he just starts firing these guns, and he's, like, picking off, like, on the, uh, there's, a, like, a roulette wheel thing on the wall that spins, and there's these little star dots on the ends, and, and it's still kind of spinning. He's like, and all the dots on the ends of the things just kind of fall, and, and, and he's like, oh. and, he, and then he goes and takes his pocket knife and, and pulls out the slug out of the wall uh, and he puts it in his pocket and just kind of walks out and everybody's like he can shoot 
But what he was doing was testing their guns for ballistics to find out who the one was murdered so-and-so. It's a great movie. Uh, Destry, uh, check it out. But that, that would have been the clip I would have showed of the guy that knew how to handle a weapon, man. It was great. Uh, and it, it just uh, brought tears <laughs> to my eyes. Uh, that was a great one. My wife didn't like that movie, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, but she likes Sleepless in Seattle. So, uh, um, isn't that the movie where Tom Hanks and his buddy they're, they're they're all talking about these girl movies, and then he says, "Remember Dirty Dozen when they dropped?" And they start crying because they're talking about the guys that dropped the grenades. Did you guys see that scene? Oh man, I must be alone on that. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, but um, uh, all that to say, uh, I, I wonder on the spectrum. Uh, you know, we, we, we learn that verse, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you got the spectrum of Don Knotts and the shakiest gun in the West, or you got Destry rides again, who knows how to handle his, his weapon. Back now in biblical times, there's actually Bible stories of guys that knew how to handle a sword. Um, one of the mighty men of, of David, um, it, he took on a whole army as he swung his sword and did it with great skill. And the Bible says that his hand claved to the sword. Have you ever held on to something so tight that it's hard to peel your fingers off of it? Uh, that's what motocross is for us. After a moto, you know, you're, you're coming like, that was great. You jump off. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Because you've been hanging on for dear life. That was the sword for, for you know, um, uh, Eliezer. And, he, and his hand claved to the sword because he, he fought a whole army single-handedly, and whooped them. You know, uh, there's the spectrum of swordsmanship that I, I pray that Athey Creek men, that we will take uh, that charge seriously. Study to show thyself approved unto God. In other words, we'll stand before God, and we'll, we'll have to answer that question, how did we do with uh, the wielding of a sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God? And I would hope that all of us would say, man, we're a workman. We've done some work uh, to the point of perspiration, worked unto sweat with the Word of God to where it made a difference in our lives. Um, the, the, the big mistake is in church history. If you read church history, what happened in the Catholic Church particularly, there was a season where uh, they actually used to chain the Bible to the pulpit. Um, and the, the Bible was not for the common person. That was for the clergy only. Let the pastor, let the priest, let the father, let the... Uh, Pontiff, uh, Maximus, or whatever, let, let him be the discerner of the Word of God, and the rest of the, uh, of the church, well, you just listen and hear what they have to say. And the reason they changed the Bible to the pulpit is they didn't want anybody taking it or stealing it. One of the biggest things of the Reformation was Martin Luther said, man, the Bible should be in everybody's hands. And so Martin Luther translated the Bible himself uh, into a language that the people could read. And uh, that was one of the big benefits of the Reformation. But all that to say, uh, even today, there's remnants of that. There's a lot of churches you can go to today where people don't even bring Bibles. Um, they say, well, it's going to be up on the overhead, man. We're going to have the pastor tell us a Bible verse. Um, but that's the Don Knotts mode. That's the handling the sword of the Spirit with, well, with a, a kind of a cavalier attitude. Like it doesn't really matter that much. Um, now, I don't know if you guys feel this, but I feel like we're living in a day where we really are more than ever in a spiritual battle. 
Um, man, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. Man, there, there's a battle going on. I mean, it's not just nationally with shootings and, uh, you know, down in California, just even a few days ago, another, another one of these crazy, uh, you know, shootings of, you know, Islamic terrorism. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of darkness and evil in that. But, but man, in our own lives, man, we got more battle to deal with, I think, than ever. You know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to see porn, you had to go to a porn shop and buy a magazine. Or um, you'd have to embarrass yourself to, to walk into a 7-Eleven or whatever and find that area where the magazines were covered with cardboard. And you'd have to buy one. And, you know, uh, I grew up in a small town, so there was never a temptation there because we knew everybody. It's like, what are you going to do? Uh, word would get around town pretty fast if some, somebody walked into the 7-Eleven and, you know, bought, bought a Playboy or something. But today, man, nobody knows. They talk about covert ops. You know, the enemy, Satan, who plays that same play over and over again, uh, he, he runs that against you over and over again because it's successful. And the, in this day of technology and all that, you know, you got your iPhones, your iPads, your computers, and uh, all that stuff that is just a massive temptation. And it's not just the pornography thing. It's, you've got everything at, in the world at your fingertips. Um, we'll probably spend, like I said before, a whole session on just that topic of purity, uh, sexual purity particularly. We'll, we'll deal with that in a whole session. But, but that's one of those areas, man, if you don't have your, you know, your sword ready to roll, I believe you're going to be picked off by the enemy. And that's, that's one of the oldest weapons he uses against us uh, in the book. And so the question is, are you really ready to wield the sword and, and do it with skill? And is your sword sharp or is it rusty and dull? Um, uh, do you handle the sword rightly? Uh, you know, I'm reminded of that story. In fact, why don't you flip over there with me? Uh, it's, um, it's uh, well, we'll read it from Luke's gospel. It's in uh, other gospels as well. But do you guys remember, um, this always reminds me of the Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield bout. Uh, you know, it was, can you believe it was back almost 20 years ago now um, when finally Evander Holyfield faced Mike Tyson in, a, in the title bout? They, they called the bout finally, yeah, which is kind of funny. You know, I, I miss the good old names like Thrilla in Manila or whatever. Remember some of those Muhammad Ali fights and stuff? They had some great names. Um, but this one was finally. Why? Because finally Evander Holyfield was taken on Mike Tyson. Holyfield was was pretty much given no chance by the uh, commentators and what have you. But uh, he defeated Tyson by a TKO um, um, and stopped the round in round 11. It was kind of a, a great fight. Holyfield made history um, and all that. But, but uh, after that, they fought again a year later in um, 1997. And, uh, and it became probably one of the most controversial events in all of sports history, if you recall. Because as Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield went after, uh, went after it again, um, Tyson, uh, I think it was in round three, sort of nip bit Evander Holyfield uh, in the ear. Uh, and the ref kind of stopped the fight and said, hey, you can't be doing that. Uh, and, and then they continued the fight. And then shortly thereafter, he bit Evander Holyfield in the other ear uh, and took a whole chunk of his ear off. Uh, do you remember this? Uh, some of you guys, maybe you're younger and you don't know this. It was a crazy uh, sporting event. And so Mike Tyson, of course, was disqualified and humilified, um, as he should have been. And the match 
Um, they actually found Evander Holyfield's right ear on the ring floor after the bout, and then they went and sewed it back on. But um, the reason I tell you that story is because uh, there's a Bible story that matches it. Uh, uh, I always think of Evander Holyfield uh, in this story, but he comes by the name of Malchus. Uh, it's actually Luke 22, verse 49. Luke twenty-two forty-nine. 49. Um, well, let's go to verse 47. Luke twenty-two forty-seven. 47. It says, While he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that uh, was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they that were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Now, this is the disciples. And they asked the question to the Lord, Lord, should we draw our swords? Should we defend you? And the Lord said, what? Well, nothing. I'll tell you why, because it says in verse 50, and one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So, so this cracks you up. Should we fight with the ear? Whack! I mean, fight with a sword? Whack! Hey, what, what was that? Uh, this is funny to me because they asked the question, but before Jesus could answer, one of the disciples... Now, this is Luke being nice. This is Luke. He's saying, one of the disciples. Now, in John's gospel, it was Peter. <laughs> Peter, Peter and John cracked me up. Uh, I think they had a little bit of a rivalry amongst themselves because, you know, John would say stuff about Peter. Uh, it was Peter who uh, whacked Malchus's ear off. And, and it's also John that says, and the two disciples ran to the tomb, Peter and John, and John um, beat him to the tomb. <laughs> and and uh, like there's this little sideline thing. It's like it was a foot race, and Peter got there later. Uh, and John made sure that went down through history in the gospel message that he could run faster than Peter. That just kills me. Um, some of you guys have rivalries like that. I know you guys uh, between each other. Kind of funny. Uh, but that, that's the deal here. Luke just says, one of the disciples... Um, and cuts off this uh, servant. His, his, we learn in another gospel, his name was Malchus. But uh, after he cuts off the right ear, verse 51, and Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Um, uh, one of the other passages sort of implied that he reached down, picked up the ear, and stuck it back on the side of his head. Uh, don't you think that would have given the, the soldiers and the, the priests a bit of pause about what they were about to do? I mean, they're going to they're gonna crucify this guy who just heals the ear. Uh, I'd be thinking, man, am I on the right side of this uh, situation here? Uh, but they were so hard-hearted that they, um, uh, that they went ahead. You know, the thing about that story uh, th- that's interesting is Peter, uh, bless his heart, he was always the bold fisherman, but I think he was a fisherman and not a swordsman. Um, we, we, you know, if a guy really wanted to defend his buddy, do you think he'd chop off the ear? You know, in Bible times, do you think Joab would have hit, missed and hit an ear? In fact, there's these great stories in uh, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, of battles, and some of the battles in the Bible speaks of how um, how craftily men would kill each other. Uh, in fact, there's a, a phrase that a, a, that a man would slay someone under the fifth rib. Um, have you guys heard that biblical term? slaying someone under the fifth rib. That, that means he was kind of like a Navy SEAL, knew how to kill a guy in 20 ways or whatever. Uh, he, you know, if you got someone in the fifth rib, it means you, you were skilled, you knew right where to place the blade to take the guy out. Uh, but all that to say, uh, that's not Peter. 
Peter was probably a good fisherman, um, but he was not so good with a sword. And so he flailed and he chopped off the servant of the high priest's ear. And so uh, I, I wonder if, if, that's, if that's one of the things in the Bible that I sort of, as the word of God is pictured as the sword of the spirit, I wonder if there's Peters of, of us running around indiscriminately whacking away with our sword, using it not very skillfully. Um, it, it's easy to quote scripture at people. It's easy to slice and dice people. You can even be a nominal student of the Bible and come, with a, come up with a scripture to sort of mess with people or to, uh, you know, defend your position. Um, but one of the things we have to remember is um, that our weapon of our warfare is not carnal. That is, it's not meant to hack up other people. But the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is used to hack up Satan and his devices, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's the way Jesus did it. When Jesus was in Matthew chapter 4 and Satan led Jesus out to the wilderness to be tempted, and every single temptation that Jesus was uh, given by Satan, every single time Jesus responded with the sword of the Spirit. His one offensive weapon that he had was the Word of God. And so he would quote Scripture appropriately, exactingly, under the fifth rib, if you would. He knew how to use the sword, and it was against Satan. It wasn't against other people hacking, slicing, and dicing. Um, but all that to say, Peter's an example. You know, um, if you think about this, uh, you know, um, before Jesus even answers the question, Peter's impertinence, uh, where he just kind of starts hacking away. Um, by the way, there, there's people that move like that, um, where they say, Lord, should I do this thing? Meanwhile, they're doing that thing. Um, what do you mean, Brett? I know guys that, Lord, should I marry this girl? And you're already living with her uh, and sleeping with her. Um, uh, really, you care about what the Lord says? Like Peter, uh, should we hack them with a sword? Whack, whack, whack. Should we, Lord? Whack, whack, whack. Uh, that, that's the same, same thing, getting way ahead of yourself. Uh, I, I've had guys come up, hey, Brett, should I go into business with this non-believer? Like, we're gonna yoke ourselves together. What do you think? Um, well, how far are you in? Well, we've already invested $100,000 into our business and company, and we've pretty much signed all the documents. Then why are you asking me? Uh, you know, it's almost like, I wonder if Jesus is like, are you kidding? You're asking me and whack, there you go. Uh, now, there's people that have that same temptation that Peter has just to uh, do that. But not only is he, uh, you know, impertinent there, but he's also uh, inept uh, in his skill with a sword. Um, you know, uh, he didn't know how to use it, it seems, as he cuts off the ear of, of, the, uh, of the ear of the high priest's servant. Uh, but all that to say, um, man, we, we need to use the Word of God skillfully. Now, um, there's some great stories in the Bible about swordsmanship um, and things to think about. Why don't you turn with me to Judges chapter 3. Now, remember, the Old Testament is a picture book of New Testament truths. And I think one of those great pictures is right here in Judges chapter 3, verse 12. It says there, Judges 3.12, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto them the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees, um, which was probably Jericho, by the way. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gira, the Benjamite, uh, a man left-handed, 
And by him the children of Israel sent a present to Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud, or Ehud, made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present to Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. <laughs> this, is, this is great. So, so Eglon, here's this guy, picture Job of the Hutt, and he's there ruling Israel for all these years, and he's like, rah. and he's like doing his, his ruling thing. He's a bad dude. In fact, it seems that the Lord is using Eglon sort of to be a paddle uh, for Israel because they were doing that which was right in their own sight. You know, you think you have heavyweight problems children of Israel had Eglon uh, dominating. And um, so, so they say, let's bring Eglon a present. I wonder if Eglon's thinking, oh, a present for me, food, you know, maybe a, uh, you know, a, a picnic basket or something. Uh, but he, he's a very fat man. And verse 18, when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king who said, keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, uh, said I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Um, I guess he got the point. Uh, sorry, got to say that there. Verse 22, and the haft also went in after the blade and the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly and the dirt came out. <laughs> then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he was gone out, his servants came, uh, Eglon's servants, and when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, surely he covereth his feet in the summer chamber. That's just a nice way of saying he's using the restroom facility. And they waited uh, until they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore, they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped unto Syrioth. Um, now, all this story here, this is a great story, the oppressive King Eglon. Um, but, but I love Ehud. He was a guy who was skilled with a sword, but he was also unique. Why, what's the big deal about the left hand, right hand, right thigh kind of thing? Um, you know, if you were a lefty back in the Bible times, they considered you like um, handicapped. You, you were sort of a weirdo. In fact, there's actual uh, ancient history, and Josephus even talks about how men would learn to use their right hand even if they were left-handed because you didn't want to have that reputation of being a lefty. Uh, but Ehud, he embraced it, and he hid his sword uh, uh, where it would be on his right thigh instead of his left. Everybody, when you'd search a guy, you'd search for a sword, and you'd typically go for the left side because that's where you'd draw your sword. So it's probable that the reason he was able to get past the TSA uh, as he was going into Eglon's chamber is because, because uh, he, he had this, this shorter dagger uh, hidden uh, on his right thigh. And so he comes in there with great skill and says, I have a present for you. Oh, a present for me? Yeah, and he gives it to him. 
uh, and he sticks it through his belly, and the Bible says that his belly just sort of envelops this sword, and even the haft or the handle goes in, where he's like, man, <laughs> I can't even get my sword back. Um, uh, but uh, but this, the, the weird part is, um, is that Eglon, it says that dirt came out. Now, there's debate on what that all means. Some think it's just his intestines came out of his stomach. Um, a nice biblical picture for you uh, there. Uh, but dirt, what, what was that all about? Well, I don't know, but there's something true about that. When the sword goes in, the dirt comes out. When the Word of God goes in, the dirt comes out. You know, we have an enemy who wants to mess with us. And you can either feed him and make him more monstrous, or you can defeat him uh, with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. You know, there, there, there's egglons in your life uh, that are oppressing you. This egglon was the guy who was over Israel, keeping them in bondage, making them give all their stuff to him. You know, um, and so many men get into bondage of various things, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sexual stuff. Man, guys just get stuck, oppressed by those things that are plaguing them. But the key is the, the sword goes in and the dirt comes out and the oppressor dies. Um, how shall a young man cleanse his ways? Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. There's something about a man of the sword, a man of the word. He's going to do better against Eglon, the oppressor. He's going to do better than the enemy that's going to try to keep him in bondage to those sins and those things that he's stuck in. I see the story of Eglon being this beautiful picture of a guy who dealt with a real problem and he used the sword. And whenever you see the sword in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it could be just pointing to us uh, as the sword of the spirit. And it's a great picture. It's a great type. Um, so all that said, uh, Eglon, uh, you know, he, he, it was the paddle for Israel, but uh, finally that problem would be uh, done away with. Now, I already told you about Eliezer, the son of Dodo, whose hand claved to the sword. But um, the, the point is, uh, when you have a sword, you've got a weapon that should make us feel secure and stronger. It's funny how there's all this debate about... Um, you know, uh, guns, gun control, and all that. But um, what's, what's amazing is in Israel, uh, you know, we just got back from Israel, and, um, you know, uh, nobody's really talking about this, but somebody might want to. But with all, you know, it, when, when we were in Israel, that's when the whole Paris attack took place. And in Israel, you know, they, they felt bad for Paris, but Israel's been living with that kind of stuff for years. Uh, that's nothing new to the Israelis. Um, and, um, and so uh, Israel's taken measures uh, to secure themselves. And gun control in Israel is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, you can see a kindergarten class going on a field trip. And the teacher has an Uzi, and the parent uh, helper has a sawed-off shotgun, and they're all going on their happy little trip. Why are they doing that? <laughs> well, it's, it's because there's real threats there in Israel. Now, what's amazing, nobody's talking about this, but do you remember back in the, uh, the Intifada back in the early 2000s? Um, do you remember there were buses blowing up? There were people wearing vests. In fact, Steve, our tour guide, who leads our guide, um, he didn't talk much about it this trip for whatever reason, but um, he, he tells the story of he came home from work and um, he went and shopped in this little market across the street from his house and he, he got his veggies and and then he went into his front door and closed the door and all of a sudden, boom, boom, here's two big blasts. 
and he hears like stuff hit his front door. Um, and so he, uh, he looks out and laying on his doorstep is a woman who's got a huge chunk taken out of her. Then he realizes, wait, that's not a woman. That's the terrorist dressed like a woman who was wearing a vest. And, um, and basically that, uh, that person blew herself, himself up uh, in a marketplace. And then there was a second guy who blew himself up just about 30 feet away. And they almost simultaneously blew, blew themselves up. You know, and Steve, um, you know, they cleaned up the mess and they got the market going again uh, in very short order. Uh, the next day, Steve went up on his roof, which is where his sort of backyard is. Uh, you know, his roof is where his barbecue is and all that. And literally found a complete brain uh, laying on his, on his, right next to his uh, barbecue on his roof. I mean, this is stuff the Jews have been living with in Israel. Um, and, you know, he had to call the people and they had to come and remove the brain from off of his roof. Um, now, during the, that Intifada war, um, those bombs were going off, buses were blowing up and all that stuff. But you really haven't heard of any bombs going off, have you, in Israel? Um, what, you're, what are you hearing of now? Anybody? Um, stabbings, right? Lots of stabbings everywhere. Um, and sometimes people will take their cars, these pa- Palestinian Hamas people will take their cars and they'll drive them into a rabbi on the street or something like that. Um, so where are the bombs? Well, see, Israel built a wall. <laughs> they built a wall of security uh, between the West Bank side of Jerusalem and, and, um, and the Israeli side. And those oppressive Jews, as the news will put it, those occupiers, they have, they have, uh, they have control points where if you're coming in, you, you might be searched and uh, they want to know who's coming and going. But because of their security system, uh, there's no more bombs going off. Uh, of all the places. These guys are stabbing people, hoping to kill as many people as they can. And the reason they're not blowing themselves up is they can't get bombs in there. Now, what's even more interesting is um, the, the stabbing guys are not doing that well. They're, they're stabbing, but not killing. And because so many Israeli citizens are armed, uh, it's usually a fairly short-lived attack. And, and so how does the news report it? Um, the Jews uh, have, have killed, you know, 40 Palestinians and only six Jews were killed. And they show this imbalance of how the Jews are, it's not proper uh, balance of death. Now, have you guys seen this on the news? It's just totally whacked if you, if you really think about it. These are just people going to work. And because they, they know these guys will come out with knives because that's the only weapon they can get uh, is, is uh, they're ready and armed and they're, they're shooting. Um, What's the point? The point is, you know, uh, I'm not really defending anything politically here for us other than this. Yeah, get a gun. Yeah, go get a gun. No, yeah. Now that's going to come out. Hey, Brett, Brett said, honey, uh, <laughs> I need a new firearm. We're all off at Cabela's after. No, um, no. But, but here's the thing. We can get all riled up about that one and like, yeah, defend yourself and, and uh, gun control and, and all that stuff. And I love shooting and stuff and I've got guns. I, I think it's a fun thing. But here's the thing. More importantly than that, now this is one of the things I'm not sure you believe. More importantly than, than you know, terrorists and, and concealed weapon permits and all that stuff is we have a spiritual foe that will kill you worse than a terrorist can kill you. Hey, Brett, dead is dead. Not really. Not really. Um, you can be dead spiritually. You can have eternal death as part of your plan and future. Um, you need to make sure and be armed to the teeth spiritually with the Word of God. 
Um, I love how Israel is just armed, and so you really do feel safe. Um, when we went into the West Bank, we didn't feel that safe because it's a whole different deal over there. Uh, we crossed through the wall and the barrier and went through the checkpoint, and we had an armored vehicle, and we went in, and our driver was armed, and everywhere we went, we, the armed driver was with us, uh, and that was great. But that's the people that live over on that side, the Jews particularly, man, they live in real fear. Uh, see, the thing that I love is the confidence that we had as a tour group, as long as we were in the Israeli section with all the people who were armed well and knew how to use their weapons, and we felt pretty good. It's a little weird. You know, you go into a pizza joint in Jerusalem, and there's like these 18-year-old girls, uh, and they all walk in with their ARs and get some pizza, and there's, their guns are just sitting right there, and we're all just like, those girls could kill us. Uh, those, those teeny boppers, you know? Um, but, but at the same time, the, um, I, I wonder if spiritually... There's a lot of guys glibly going on in life and forgetting that we wrestle against spiritual battles. Satan and his demons wanting to mess with your life, throwing fiery darts your way daily, uh, wanting to mess with you and hurt you and destroy you. And uh, that's why I think that a Christian man who's got his sword sharp and ready and, and, um, and he's good at using it properly, he can move through life with real confidence um, there's an assuredness when, you, when you're packing heat spiritually. You can know that there's a confidence in the Lord and that, that the Word of God is right there. If you don't have the Word of God, if that's not part of your arsenal, I think you're walking weaponless in this world. And that's why so many guys, I'm sad to say, so many guys are getting picked off spiritually. Um, you know, I've got a good friend um, was here in the very earliest stages of Athey Creek when we first started and for years we've been friends, but for years he struggled with alcohol, and uh, and he just keeps getting into it, you know. And he'd go to this rehab center and that, uh, you know, facility, and and then he'd come right back and get get right back into it, and he'd end up DUIs and he'd lose his license, and then his buddies had to drive him to work, and I mean it's just so painful. It hurts because I love this guy. Um, he's just a really cool brother in the Lord. But man, the guy struggles. Um, and um, even just as recently as uh, last week, he was in ICU. Uh, they weren't even sure he was going to make it for a while uh, because of alcohol. And, and um, it, it's just to me so sad to see a brother just get picked off. And you know what's really sad about men when they get picked off? I mean, I hate to see women and children get picked off. But here's the thing. If a man, if a head of a household gets picked off, most of the time the rest of the family does too. If you as men, as fathers and husbands, are not armed spiritually with the Word of God in your hand, um, the potential for you to fail is huge. And the potential for your kids to fail is huge. And for your marriage to fail, it's, it's just huge. This guy that I'm talking about had the perfect family, perfect house, perfect setup, but he's lost it all, everything. And so, you know, some of us, the elders, we've been praying for years that the Lord would deliver him, but um, I think this guy has just been unwilling to take up the sword of the Spirit and to take it seriously. That's just the truth. Um, all that to say, you know, the purpose of the sword, it's our offensive weapon. In fact, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians real quick? I'd like to show you another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. By the way, you know, we do bring up 
guns and stuff. And I, I know there's a lot of us Athey Creekers who like that stuff. And I'm probably going to offend some of you guys. But I think we have to be careful not to be over the top on that one. Um, uh, because um, if you look in the scripture, there is a balance. You know, Jesus did tell the disciples, you need to bring your, bring your sword with you. Uh, but that's the NRA cling to scripture. You know, Jesus told his disciples, bring a sword. Um, but, but in the same breath, we can say, yeah, but Jesus told Peter to put it away. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, there's this precedent in Scripture uh, that's fairly small on the whole self-defense thing in a practical way. Um, but this Scripture also puts a priority on it. So, um, so yeah, you, we can talk about gun control and concealed weapon permits. And we can talk about all that stuff. But see, to me, that's a way less issue. Big, big gap between the issue of of a physical weapon in self-defense versus the spiritual weapon of self-defense. Uh, I hope you guys can see that. It's, it's giant. And I hope as Athey Creek men that, it, sure, you can talk about firearms and stuff. And I know a lot of the guys get together, oh, we, should, we should go shooting and stuff. That's all great. But I hope that the conversation actually goes deeper and, and perhaps even more rich in, in what Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says. Um, it says, in, well, let's go to verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is physical or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What are we to do? We are to be men of the word and, and, and have the sword as our, our spiritual weapon. For our weapons are not carnal, uh, uh, but they're spiritual. Uh, and, and, and that should be what we talk about, guys. I mean, our focus should be, hey, how, how are you doing in your spiritual battle? How's your sword uh, you know, work going? Are you, are you sharpening your sword? Are you studying the word? Are you a man of the word? Are you, are you like the guy who's studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? Um, where have you been studying in the word lately? Um, what, what, what's the Lord showing you personally in, in your personal Bible study time? I hope the conversation at Athey Creek moves that direction because that's what really matters. Oh, but Brett is not. It's the NRA and gun control and all that stuff today. Um, hey, those are important issues, but outside of what's the most important issue, the most important issue for you and for me is that, man, we need to be uh, doing battle. And, and this is great because our scripture tells us what the deal is. You're tearing down strongholds. For some of you, that is alcohol or drugs. For some of you, that is porn. But there needs to be a tearing down of strongholds. We need to talk about that. Um, there needs to be uh, not only tearing down strongholds, but taking prisoners, taking captive. What is it? So it says, everything that hi, uh, high that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When you have the battle of, of, of spiritual battles going on in your life, you got to take prisoners. And what are you taking prisoner? Those thoughts that are in your head that are not supposed to be there. Put it in jail. Throw away the key. How do you do that? Well, the only way to do battle in this time is with your sword, sword of the Spirit. Man, we could go on and on about Scripture that relates to um, the Word of God. Um, one of the things that you should know is in the beginning was the Word, John chapter 1, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. 
and the same in the beginning was with God. And the word, John 1, 14, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Um, do you remember the Christophany in the book of Joshua? Where in uh, Joshua chapter 5, uh, you know, Joshua was getting ready to go in and do battle, and, and we see an appearance of the Lord. Remember Joshua, are you for us or against us? As he's holding his sword like Don Knotts, are you for us or against us? And Jesus is standing there and he says, what? No. <laughs> are you for us or against us? No. Which one? <laughs> no. The idea is Jesus is on his own side. But the good news is that the Jesus would eventually go and fight for Joshua. See, one of the things about the sword is Jesus is the word of God. Uh, and Jesus is the one who will fight for us. I think that's kind of an important thing if you're kind of thinking, man, how does all this work out practically? It's all Jesus. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, pictures Jesus with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of God. Um, so all that to say, uh, the, the sword is a picture throughout the Bible of what we need to be ready to use, ready to handle, uh, uh, something that we need to be skillful in. So, with all that said, let's go to an exceedingly practical mode here for a second. Uh, what is it that you do to, to work on swordsmanship spiritually? How much time have you spent working on uh, wielding the sword, which is the Word of God? Um, man, you know, if, you, if you're in battle in Bible times, um, there's actually some great writing uh, about ancient battles and soldiers and even as I told you about uh, Eliezer, the son of Dodo, how his hand claved to the sword, there's actually writings of ancient times that talk about how guys, the sword became part of them, almost like part of their own body. They got so skilled with using a sword, it was just as natural as using their hand. And um, there's, there's some cool stories about guys that were uh, excellent swordsmen. Um, it, there's something kind of cool about seeing a guy who's got a skill. I would hope that all of you guys say, okay, of all the skills that are important to me in this life, it's not bowling. Amen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we went bowling last night. Uh, took the staff for a Christmas party, uh, and we went bowling. And one thing I discovered is bowling is not my game. <laughs> Man, uh, it's tough. I was trying to bowl, and, but none of the bowling balls have the big enough hole. Uh, my thumb is like, I'd, I'd roll it, and it's just like, boom you know, as, as it fly out. And then uh, Christine, Mitch's wife, Mitch, where are you, are you here? Where's Mitch? Christine, she had a, uh, like a hurt thumb on her right hand, so she was bowling left-handed, uh, and she killed us all, uh, bowling left-handed. It was very humiliating. But Mike, Mike is a champion. What was your score, 180? No, 170-something? Man, that's just not right. Um, so, but but the, the cool thing about Mike is that uh, bowling is not his main thing. Uh, I love, I love, you know, Mike's family is a sword family. Um, I, there's, there's something about that. Uh, you know, I love seeing, you know, a lot of you guys that make, make uh, the word of God a priority. Um, Mike and, and a couple of the girls, you know, um, were, uh, and his, his daughters were on our Israel trip. And I had several people commenting, man, that's, that's what I want is a marriage like that and, and kids like that. I love how, uh, you know, Mike's just a man of the word. Um, I, I love to see what the Lord's doing. Even like Josh is going to start a reading through the word thing here where he's just going to read the whole Bible. Here in the sanctuary, he's going to read. When, when are we starting that? Is that like at the beginning of the new year? 
hopefully soon. Uh, and this was his idea. You know, uh, it says in Second uh, Timothy, give attendance to the reading of Scripture. And he's going to come in and just read. And if nobody shows up, he's going to be here reading. Um, but if you want, you can come early in the morning and just hear the reading of Scripture. Like, to me, that's just powerful. That's, that's a sword thing that, that I think is cool. Um, I look at Abe over here, who's, who's uh, teaching the Word all the time to our high school kids, but uh, he's also doing it uh, in his business and sharing the Word everywhere he goes. And um, man, uh, he, he knows how to use the sword, the sword of the Spirit. Uh, by the way, he's also got another weapon that was kind of, when we went to Israel, he, he <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell everybody this, but uh, you know, you know those selfie things? Um, you know, uh, uh, I, I see, you know, he's got the selfie stick. I'm like, hey, and he goes, yeah, check this out. And it, it's actually, you know, those police batons that you go, Shik, and it's like heavy. Um, he, he fabbed up a thing that holds your GoPro camera on the end of one of those things. You just, Shik, and you're ready to film. But it's also a selfie defense stick. It's like a great, it's like a great thing. Now you can't market it because it's his idea. So I think you should take it and make it a, make a big thing out of it. It'll be awesome. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's already patented. So if, if any of you guys do it, I'll know you, uh, we're, uh, you owe Abe uh, for the idea. But no, it's, uh, it's seriously like, uh, it's so cool to see uh, Abe's family just serving the Lord and just walking with the Lord, man of the, the sword. It's huge. It's important. And I can go through a lot of you guys who are just really committed to the Word of God. And the, the, the man that is committed to the Word of God, I'll show you a family that's solid, um, kids who are squared away, and wives that are happy, and uh, businesses that are flourishing. It, it really is kind of an amazing, profound thing. The, 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 the amount a man gets into the Word and becomes good with the sword, how it just changes his life. It's just the truth. So um, let me explain to you just a little bit of practicality, and, and there's, uh, I'm only going to be able to handle just a, this for a little bit because of our time, but, but here's the thing. How do you sharpen your sword? How do you get better at using the sword, uh, wielding the sword? Um, few thoughts. Number one, personal devotion. Jot it down. Personal devotion. This is a key. Um, uh, we're almost done personal devotion. Man, I hope that you, uh, like it says there in 1 Timothy 4.13, to give attendance to the reading of Scripture. I hope you're doing that daily. You know, the Word of God is compared to food. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if you are eating food oh, only on Wednesday and Sunday, does that make for a healthy man the rest of the week? Um, uh, you know, Bible talks about how it's milk, uh, but it also talks how it's meat. And it also talks about how it's manna, milk, meat, and manna. I hope you're getting all of that on a daily basis. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be weak and feeble. Um, I was on one of my diet things where I was trying to go meaner and leaner. Uh, I go up and down all the time. And um, uh, it was a couple summers ago, we were at the Tuesday co- motocross. Uh, you know, we were out there just riding. Motocross is a fairly physical sport. It's not like you're just sitting there turning the throttle. It's fairly physical. You're jumping and doing hard turns. It's, and you're just really working hard. It's great. It's a blast. I wish I could do it every day. I'd probably get in shape. But I had been only going on like a 1,200-calorie diet, you know. And uh, I went out there, and I was doing this 20-minute moto. It was a hot day. And, and I just remember going over the, the big jump, the, the tabletop. You clear like 60 or 70 feet on this jump. And as I was in the air, I was just kind of flying. And all of a sudden, I felt this cramp in the back of my leg. And I was like, ow, that hurts. And then as I was landing the jump, I f- saw everything kind of getting black on the peripheral of my vision. And it was kind of narrowing down. I was like, 
man, and I just remember hitting the berm in the corner, and I was thinking, I was thinking, I better get off the, and, and right, that was the last thing I remember. <laughs> I passed out. The funny thing is, I, t- I was making this turn, and, and then I got thrown off my bike, because uh, I was out cold, and I tumbled down the ravine, and my bike stayed up at the top. So when I came to, I'm like laying in the weeds, and I can't find my dirt bike. It's like, it's like 100 yards up on the top of the hill. Uh, and so I finally kind of, but I realized, I, I just, the reason I, I passed out was because I, I just hadn't eaten enough, you know, calories to keep me going. Um, so, uh, I, but I liken that to a lot of spiritual guys. You know, you're going through this life, but if you're not eating of the Word of God daily, you're going you're gonna to faint. Uh, and you're going to be weak like any other man. Uh, you need to eat daily. I hope you're devoting time uh, in the morning. Devotional mode, that's, that's the first mode that I do, and I do that every day, and I do that um, in the morning whenever I can. Now, there are times, guys, where I'll have an early morning, you know, five o'clock meeting. That, to me, uh, five is as early as I'll meet with somebody. I don't go much earlier than that because I feel sick if I get up at like uh, 3.30 or whatever. I hate that. If, I feel bad for you guys that do that. Uh, but but if I get up that early, I might do my devotion time maybe a little later in the morning. Uh, I'll find a time where I can in my truck uh, pull over and just read for a few minutes the scriptures. But devoting time daily, huge, essential, massive part of your Christian walk. Just read. And I would do systematic reading through the Bible. I, I think I would do that. Uh, you don't have to start in Genesis. Start in the Gospel of John and just start reading. And um, I also think that reading the Bible in a year is great if you can do that, but that's, that's hard for some guys. Don't feel the pressure. There's a, there's a new mode where you can read the Bible through the Bible in two years. That's much more doable uh, if you want to find that. I think somebody should do a three-year plan for guys that aren't real readers. Uh, you can, in just, you know, five minutes, ten minutes a day, you can read through the Bible in three years. I think that's a good endeavor, but do that. Reading through the Bible devotionally. Number two. There's a second mode that I like to go into with the Word of God to sharpen my sword and to be ready for battle. Um, That is the prayerful mode. Um, See, when I read devotionally, I just let the Word speak for itself. I read it, and then I walk away from it and let the Lord speak the rest of the day about what I was reading that morning. But with the prayerful mode, that's where I read the Bible with my journal and a pen uh, and and, and some paper, and I can I can write down some of the thoughts. In fact, it's not uncommon where I will write down scripture that I'm reading and I'll just write thoughts and, um, and even write my own prayers down as I'm reading. It's sort of an, it's kind of an interactive reading and hearing not only the, the, the logos, the, the written word, but the rhema, which is more the spoken word. The Lord will speak to your heart as you're reading the Bible and you just write stuff down. And oftentimes as I write stuff down, man, there'll be squiggly lines and I'll point to other things. It just kind of looks like a mess by the time I'm done. But it's an amazing thing how the Lord can help formulate thoughts and impressions for me personally. Brett, here's what I want you to do today. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to be learning and praying about and working on and some of your uh, idiosyncrasies and some of your bad attitudes. And, and I write that stuff down and, and man, it's amazing. Once you put it out through the pen, on paper, uh, you internalize it. And so I got this kind of mode where I like to read the Bible in a prayerful, journaling, meditating kind of mode. We sang that song from Psalm 1 this morning. I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night. That's kind of the mode of, of prayerful journaling in the scripture. And I like to do that. Uh, and I don't do that every day, um, but I do that uh, at least a few times a week where I'll sit down and just just do that. Just Even if it's for 
20, 30 minutes, I'll sit down and take some time to, to, to do the prayerful mode. Then number three, not only do you have the devotional mode daily, prayerful mode, journaling, praying, meditating, but then the third mode is study mode. That's that, uh, you know, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved, a workman. Now, this is where you and I as men have no excuse. You know, in Paul's day, if you wanted to study the scriptures, you had to go into that place, usually near the synagogue, where you would pull out a giant scroll, and you'd start unrolling the scroll, and you'd have to find the scripture that had no verses or addresses, and you had to like, you know, uh, you know hold it open, or else it would roll back up. I mean, it sounds like work to me. You and I, we've got so many study resources, we have no excuse. Um, but to, to just do the hard work, um, this is where it really is kind of fun in our day to study the Word of God. So let's say you take a scripture, uh, say, okay, I'm going to study a chapter of the Bible. And so you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and you start just reading. And, and what I like to do is, is break each verse down and, and look at the who, what, when, where, and why. Who is this speaking to? Who is this about? What, what, who's the author? And when was it written? And why did he write this stuff? Well, Brett, how do we find the answers? Oh, there's so many resources out there. There's commentaries that you can get from pastors who were before us, scholarly men who've already done a ton of the work for us. Um, I love the scholars. You know, to me, there's levels of scholars. There's the really bright guys that you can read, but you can't understand a word they're saying. They're too smart. Um, then there's the guys that know how to read those guys, but they're here, and, and they bring the hay down from the loft, uh, for guys like us. Um, uh, who are these guys? These are, my, these are my favorite guys, by the way. The scholarly guys I will read from time to time, um, but man, uh, it's a little tricky. Uh, I remember when my pastor gave me the Francis Schaeffer series, uh, volumes of Francis Schaeffer. I remember reading the first page, and I closed it and put it back on the shelf. Like 10 years later, I pulled it back, thinking, I bet I can get it now, and I opened up First page, closed it, put it back up on the shelf. Um, and finally, I gave them away to some guy uh, who wanted them because I, you know, Schaefer was like a brainiac dude. I didn't understand a lot of the things he was saying. But here's the thing. Um, I love the, the pastors and the, and the scholars who brought the hay down from the loft. People, uh, frankly, I'll tell you some of my favorites. Uh, you know, G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, I love uh, J. Vernon McGee. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, a, t- a teenager, uh, listening to the radio, and I heard J. J. Vernon McGee, Dearly beloved, uh, we're doing a Bible study. Fight. And then he just started, he was such a hick. I was like, man, what does this guy know? And I turned it off. And then, uh, and then I was uh, a few years later in an old bookstore, and I found this volume of, of Through the Bible Commentary. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I looked through and I was reading it. And I was like, this is great. And I was reading it and I thought, this is scholarly, smart stuff. But it's easy to understand. This is really cool. And so I really got into this through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. But I didn't know that it was the same hick that was on the radio. Uh, and so later on, I realized that's the same guy. See, when you read him, he's quite scholarly. When you listen to him, you're like, tell you what. It's like, you know, he's, 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 he's like a uh, uh, hick. But I love J. Vernon McGee. I, 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 I'm thrilled that on our radio program, he's, uh, I think he's right after us at 10 o'clock or 1030 at night. Um, I'm, uh, I feel privileged to be uh, next to him. He, he's in heaven right now, and he's been there for a long time now, but he's still going on the radio. Uh, pretty awesome. Uh, Jay Vernon, G. Campbell, Morgan, um, Matthew Henry commentary. There's, there's some basic good commentaries. Um, one of the best, and I know this is going to sound um, uh, biased, but uh, my brother-in-law, John Corson, I'm not kidding about this, 
one of the best commentaries uh, out there uh, is uh, John Corson's, it's a three-volume Old Testament and New Testament commentary through the Bible. It's got the scriptures in it, and then he comments on those scriptures. It's basically kind of his Wednesday night Bible studies um, in written form, pretty much. His, his uh, sister, uh, Nikki, edited it all down, and then Thomas Nelson uh, published it, and it's a big commentary now. A lot of people uh, around the world are using John Corson's commentary. It's also on Logos Bible software, where you can, you can have the written form of his commentary on, on your computer. Like, it's, it's, it's legit. The thing, by the way, it's called the Application Bible Commentary, and the reason I think that's the perfect name is of all the pastors that I know and listen to, um, my brother-in-law is uh, extremely gifted about taking the word and saying, what does this mean for me? Like, what does this have to do with me? Um, what am I supposed to do differently today? Uh, and I don't know about you, but that, that's valuable stuff. There's all these commentaries that are very esoteric and, and very cerebral, which is great. But I also like to kind of get down to the, what does this mean for us? So if you're interested, you can get his commentary online. You can buy it from Barnes & Noble, uh, or you can get it back here. Uh, we've got, I think, a bunch of them in the back. You can, you can snag on a Sunday or Wednesday. Uh, they'll sell them back there. But that, that's a great one, commentaries. Commentaries are basically uh, just uh, comments on the Word of God. Um, and there are some taters that are more common than others. Uh, but uh, I like Jay Vernon. I like John Corson. I like uh, Wycliffe Bible Commentary. It's a great Bible commentary. Um, every guy should either have digitally or in real paper form uh, a good Bible dictionary. One of my favorites, Unger's Bible Dictionary. Great Bible dictionary. If you're studying the Word of God, Unger's is great. There's some other... Um, um, uh, there's some digital ones. I always forget Easton's is good and some others. Uh, but get a good Bible dictionary. And then you also will be blessed by a Greek and Hebrew uh, and or Hebrew uh, lexicon, which is basically like a Greek-Hebrew uh, dictionary. Um, Strong's is, is good. Strong's is like great for the, um, for, you know, if you're just starting out, Strong's. But but there's um, some other um, uh, lexicons that are really, by the scholars, uh, uh, the thumbs up from the greatest Greek and Hebrew scholars, um, the uh, little, um, middle, uh, what is it called? Uh, Scots and, and Lytle. Uh, uh, it's called Middle Lytle. Uh, Greek lexicon uh, is, is a good one that I use uh, from time to time. And the reason why the ancient languages are great to study is because that, you know, people always say, well, you know, if, if the King James Bible was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. You got to remember, he didn't read the King James Bible. He, uh, uh, Paul used the Greek language. And so if you really want to get to the original language of the Bible um, and, and try to get closer to just, you know, not that these English translations, these are amazing. We're blessed to have these, but it's so rewarding to do some language study as you're studying through the Word. So you look up the Greek, you look up the Hebrew of the Old Testament, um, you look at commentaries. Um, there's, there's a couple other resources that, that you can use as a student of Scripture. Um, I love Nave's Topical Bible. Um, Nave's Topical Bible. And what that is, is you just look up a topic, um, uh, like redemption. And you look up redemption, and then the Nave's Topical Bible gives you all the Scriptures uh, that deal with the topic of redemption. 
And if you're studying redemption, you can just read all the scriptures exhaustively about that. Now, um, I'm talking about real books. Nobody uses those anymore. So uh, what can you do? Well, there's half the stuff I just told you about is all free online with the Blue Letter Bible. Um, how many of you guys use the Blue Letter Bible? Uh, yeah, I, I figured there'd be a lot of you guys. It's free. Just go online, Blue Letter Bible, and there's all kinds of commentaries, and there's some language helps. I think the Strong's and all the Strong's numbers. That was one of the brilliant things about Strong's is they numbered every Greek uh, and Hebrew word. So instead of having to know the Greek and Hebrew alphabet and looking up Greek words, you can look up the number that corresponds with the word in the New Testament or the Old Testament. So you can even not even know anything about Greek and Hebrew and, and look up the word in definitions. That's the Strong's number system. Um, but all that to say, Blue Letter Bible, that's like, I would say, um, minimally you'll want to take advantage of that because that, that's a powerful website and they do a really good job. In fact, John Corson's commentaries are on that one along with Matthew Henry and a bunch of other good commentaries that you can read and study. Man, we have no excuse, brothers, to, uh, to not be uh, diving in and, and doing our own personal study through the Word. Um, now, if you want to go high-tech and huge... So um, Blue Letter Bible is beautiful and great. Uh, I, I love to use Logos Bible software. Um, when I started using Logos, the, uh, the, the main engine for it was like 79 bucks. And you could buy that and then just sort of add books uh, to your library. And I've been doing that. I remember when the Logos guy, the guy who started the whole thing, came to Athey Creek on a Wednesday night uh, several years ago. And he walked up, I'm so-and-so from Logos Bible. He said, you know, I've, I looked at your account before I came to church tonight. Uh, I said, oh, great. And I said, uh, do you know how much money you've spent on books in the last 10 years? And I was like, no. And he said, over $10,000. I was like, oh, man, don't tell Debbie. Uh, <laughs> it's like, wow, that's a lot of books. Uh, and, um, and, he, and then he very graciously handed me this black disc, double, double density disc. And it was basically the, uh, every book that Logos ever has published, which is um, thousands of books. And so I got every book, I stuck it in my computer, and my computer started to smoke and, and stuff like that. But uh, Logos, is a, it, it does take a, a bit of a computer to actually run it. It's such a powerful program, and uh, the language studies are incredible. The commentaries, the books are available. Um, uh, I would recommend, uh, now, now the, the whole thing's really expensive. That's why I mentioned that. It, uh, it's become so, uh, like, over-the-top amazing um, that I think that several hundred bucks, like three or four hundred bucks, gets you like the basic model, um, or you can spend t- ten thousand bucks for their platinum model or whatever. Don't get that one. Don't 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 spend the money on that. Um, get the most basic if you're going to do Logos. It, it, and by the way, there's quite a learning curve on Logos. It's most powerful Bible study software, but um, uh, it takes a bit of learning. And really, like le- legitimately, you'd want to probably take some classes. Uh, up in Seattle if you're going to do it and go for it to learn how to use it because it's, it's incredible. But get the, the low model and then you can add books one by one as you need them. Uh, and uh, then you have it in your library for the rest of your life, which is kind of cool. So, um, you know, I, I like to study uh, that. That's a mode where I've got my computer on, I've got my Bible open, I've got my books from my shelves out and I'm, I'm doing more of an intensive study through the Word. Now, some guys are like, Brett, that's what you do to prepare sermons. No. I like to study in other places of the Bible. Other, I'm not studying in Deuteronomy uh, right now in my study time. Um, and I'll tell you why I do that. Because um, my, the time I studied for Deuteronomy chapter 19, you know, for this week, 
The time that I studied for that was over the last 25, 30 years of my life. That's what I've been studying for junior high. So people say, Brett, how do you prepare for Sunday morning or, or Wednesday night? Um, it, it might be troubling to some people to know that on Wednesday, uh, my preparation is, uh, starts around three o'clock in the afternoon and I, I do put in some prayer time and some jotting down some notes and organizing some thoughts but it's not my time to say, now what's Deuteronomy chapter 19 about? And I don't do that. I, I've done that years ago and I keep doing that and I do it in other places in the Bible. So right now I'm studying the book of Jeremiah. And, and um, what's really cool, by the way, is when you're stu- teaching Deuteronomy, the stuff you're teach- studying in Jeremiah comes into play. Like, like it's fun to see how it all interlinks together. Um, so all that to say, uh, the reason I say that is I want to encourage you guys to not just be studying for a teaching that you have to do at Sunday school or at a men's breakfast that you're leading or anything like that, um, but just study the Word of God for the sake of studying the Word of God. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Um, finally, uh, so you got your devotional mode, daily reading your Word. Uh, prayerful mode, journaling, meditating, praying through the scripture, writing down thoughts, study mode, that's the commentaries, lexicons, software, uh, books, whatever works for you, but studying. And then I'm going to add this one, and this will be a, a topic for later study, family mode, to, to be studying the word in your family mode. And that can, can mean any number of things, family devotions. Um, it can also mean reading the word with your wife. One of the biggest mistakes I made when I first got married back in 87 is uh, I, I decided that my morning devotions would be with my beautiful wife, Debbie, and we would just uh, do our devotions together. We'd done morning devotions as kids uh, till the time we got married. We'd just join our, our devotions together. And in our first week of marriage, we're like, this is not cool. It's like uh, we both felt like our own personal time with the Lord was sort of infringed upon. And it was a little bit hard for us. And we started feeling guilty because we'd, we'd devote time and read, but then we'd start talking about it. And we wouldn't always agree on what we were reading about. And we sort of kind of had this sort of hammering. You know, Debbie was a Bible school grad. You know, she went to Twin Peaks Bible College, Calvary Chapel. She, she had some understanding of the word. And, and it was just kind of this awkward <laughs> trying to read the word together in our morning devotions. Plus, we had to make sure and get up at the same time the other person was getting up. Some days that was really early for me. Uh, and then we, you know, when we had little kids, Debbie had to sleep when the babies were sleeping. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, and, and pretty soon the devoting time in the morning just didn't work for us. And we felt guilty. We beat ourselves up. Um, I realized that that's another mode for me uh, to read the word with my wife, which is essential, brothers. You got to read the word with your wife. It just, I wouldn't put it in the devotion category or the Bible study category. I would just put it in its own category. And, and it's not me instructing my wife, Debbie, turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to say, I don't do that. Um, Debbie and I, we like to read the word uh, and then we'll come together and talk about what we're learning, what we're reading. We'll read some scriptures together. There's not a serious pattern to it. Um, like, like with my own personal devotion time, but we get in the word together. Um, you want to know the, one of the most freeing things that happened to Debbie and I years ago is uh, we got this devotional book called Daily Light. And Daily Light was basically just a compilation of a bunch of scriptures in a short form. And it would take uh, sort of topically uh, and very um, ambiguously topically, you could read, it took you like 
maybe five minutes to read one devotional, but it had maybe 20 or 30 scriptures that are kind of around the same topic. And so morning and evening, Deb and I would read it uh, in the morning, if, if we could, in the morning, and then at night, we could every night, we'd just read through that uh, daily light, which was the Word of God, and it was fun for us to read, and we could just talk about it, and somehow it was really lighthearted, it was easy for us to read. But here's the problem, if you have a marriage that stinks, it's your own fault. Remember what Jesus said uh, um, when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And then he goes on and says, and he washes his bride in the what? Water of the word. Um, he washes his church, the bride of Christ, in the water of the word. You know, we need to wash our marriages. And the way you do that is to be in the word with your wife. Um, I think that's important for you married brothers to make that a key part. That's got to be one of your modes, uh, reading the word with your wife. Um, don't feel like you have to do it for 10 hours or any long thing. Uh, she probably will thank you if it's shorter. Um, and, but, but, but it's powerful. Don't forget, it's powerful to be in the word with your wife. And then, and then also with your kids, family devos. We're going to do a whole section on that. So my challenge to you is to take up those modes, uh, at least uh, for sure, devotionally, and then also for studying the Word of God, and then also for reading with your wives. Those are the big ones. Um, the prayerful mode is also really good and important, but uh, I, would, I would take a hard look. Brett, who's got the time for all this? Um, well, if you were headed into battle, and you knew that you truly could be picked off, um, and you were going, you know, let's say you were going to go to battle tomorrow. Let's say suddenly ISIS uh, piles into America and they're going to take over West Lynn and Tualatin and Oregon City. They'd probably do less well in Oregon City than West Lynn. I'm just thinking. But, um, uh, but, but if, you were, if you were knowing that was coming, would you be like, oh, now where did I put that, that AR? Uh, do I have any ammo? Uh, no, you'd be like, what? Yeah, you, you don't do that spiritually. Uh, you, you don't want to just say, well, whatever, maybe I'll go through a spiritual battle, maybe I won't, but I don't know about it. No, make the word the priority. That's the thing. That's the challenge. Lord, for my brothers in this room, I pray that they would um, be able to carve out time to study the scriptures and to devote time devotionally. And Lord, to be able to pray through your word. And I pray that we'd become more and more familiar with the scriptures and, and not just be nominal novices, but I pray that we would be taking up the sword of the spirit, um, have it ready, have it um, uh, available so that when we are attacked in the spiritual realm, Lord, that we'd be able to do battle like Jesus did there in Matthew chapter four, um, and that we'd have a word on the tip of our tongues ready to roll, Lord. So just bless my brothers. I know the Spirit oftentimes is willing, but we also admit our flesh is weak. So I pray that you'd give us strength to be men of your word, Lord. And I pray that perhaps even Bible studies might spring up between the brothers where we get together on Friday mornings and grab some coffee and get in your word. Lord, I pray that, that we'd just be able to help one another with this, to be men of your word. So help us, Lord. Challenge us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.